Welcome to Primera Iglesia's weekly podcast from Houston, Texas. We hope you enjoy our English pastor, John Ryan Cantu's Sunday morning message. We're going to go ahead and get right into it. If you have your Bibles this morning, let's go to the book of Jonah. We're going to read from there. We just finished up our Level Up series last last month. Um, and it's so encouraging, man, when when people, you know, they, they, they come up to me or they, they send me a text message and they say, man, that word was for me. And that's, that's why we preach the message. Even if, even if we're pre- preaching a message, message to thousands of people, if one receives it, one can change their life from it, um, that's, that's all worth it. Amen. So the book of Jonah, you're probably pretty familiar with the book of Jonah and the story of Jonah. God commissioned Jonah to go and speak to the, to the city of Nineveh. Um, and, and, and God tells Jonah, tell the city of Nineveh to repent or I'm going to bring destruction on the entire city for their wickedness. And now you might think, well, that's a little, a little extreme, right? I mean, you're going to just destroy an entire nation for their wickedness. Um, but you have to understand something. God, God knows all things. And, and, and if there's a nation or there's a city that is completely wicked and, and there is no hope of salvation, it's only going to create more wickedness. So God is saying, you know what, it's better to cut it off if, if they don't repent. So Jonah, he, he goes, uh, or, or God tells Jonah to go, um, and, and, and preach a message of repentance because there is no hope for Nineveh without a divine intervention. And so God here is trying to intervene by sending Jonah. And I want to stop real quick for a second just to let you know this. Church, oftentimes God's method of intervention is human interaction. You know what that means? He intervenes by using people. He, he intervenes by using people that are willing to be used by him. If you think about Moses, how God sent him, God intervened through him to get the, uh, the Israelites out of Egypt. Uh, God intervened with, with King Cyrus of Persia when, when, when he allowed the remnant of the Jews to return from Babylon to, to rebuild their temple. I believe that God intervenes today through preachers, teachers, and witnesses who aren't afraid or ashamed of the gospel church. We can be a tool of God's divine intervention if we don't run away from it. Amen. And so that's what he's trying to do here in Jonah um, to the Ninevites so that they could be saved from their own destruction. But Jonah flees. He runs away. You know, I, I, I thought about it. It's kind of like Jonah receives this, this lifesaver from God. And God tells him, okay, I have this lifesaver here. Go throw it to the Ninevites because they're drowning. And Jonah just looks at it and he runs away. That's kind of cruel. It's kind of messed up. Right. And then God, if you know the story, God sends his giant fish to swallow Jonah. And for the next three days, Jonah is just having the worst time ever. Right. Um, But Jonah reflects. He spends time in prayer and he relents in his stubbornness. He allows God to use him and he goes and he preaches this message to, to the Ninevites that eventually leads to their repentance. But look at what happens next. So I want to read verse uh, or chapter three, the very last verse, which is uh, verse 10. It says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. All right, so, so, so finally, you know, God gets through to Jonah, and Jonah goes out, and he warns them of the coming destruction, and he tells them to repent, and they do repent, and then God refrains from his wrath. But look at, look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. It says, but this displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, is this... Not what I said when I was yet in country. That is why I made haste flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, Lord, 
please take my life from me, for it is better to die than to live. If I could describe Jonah in one word, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be obedient. It wouldn't be stubborn. It wouldn't even be drama queen, even though he was, right? Jonah was a man of hate, man. He had bitterness in his life. God saves the Ninevites from their own destruction, and then he has himself a fit, right? And the question that I think any reasonable person would ask, especially from a Christian or a man of God, is where's the love? Has anybody asked you that before? And then you're like biting your own tongue when you say something a little harsh or a little bitter or a little hateful, and they're like, man, I thought you were a Christian. Where's, where's the love? And that's the title of today's message, Where's the Love? You know, we're in the month of February, and 2018 is just cruising by, right? And when we get into February, we usually uh, we start seeing a lot of stores marketing for Valentine's Day and all this, all this, you know, chocolate and and uh, you know stuffed bears and all that stuff. When we think about Valentine's Day, we usually associate it with a romantic type of love. And and preachers, um, you know, I include myself. We kind of have this way of trying to work in this idea of love into a, into a message in February, but it works because you know God. God displays a romantic type of love, love for us in Scripture, right? We're considered the bride of Christ. We're considered his beloved church. Um, Jesus even went to the extent of dying for our sins. So that's, that's love, amen? So I want to spend a little bit of time talking about love this morning, but not love for your friends or your family. I hope you wouldn't need a message that tell you to love your friends and your family, right? You might. But rather, I want to I talk about loving the world. And when I say loving the world, I don't mean the things of the world. I mean the people of the world. There's a difference there. Right? Christians, we're, we're morally and spiritually against the things of this world. But, but we often confuse the things of this world with the people of the world. And in doing so, we fail to show the people of the world true love and, and, and compassion in Christ. Amen? Um, and I, I was thinking about this, and I've noticed something. We like helping people. We like helping the less fortunate. We like helping people that are needy, that are sick, that are poor. It makes us feel good, right? Come on, let's just be honest. It makes us feel good when you see a homeless man on the street and he's, he's holding a sign that he's hungry and you have a, a box of leftovers there and you're like, you know what, I'm going to do good today. And you give it to him. It makes you feel good, right? We're, we're good about showing love and compassion to, to those people, to the less fortunate but we often miss the mark when, when we fail to show love and compassion to those that are well off but don't have Christ. I think we subconsciously think, well, why should I feel sorry for you? You're, you have a great life. You're rich. You're, you're wealthy. You're healthy. You're, you're famous. A lot of people love you. I, I tend to see this attitude with Christians, especially uh, you know, to, to those in Hollywood and, and the billionaires of the world. We don't feel sorry for them. Right? And, and the way that we speak about them is so different than we would ever speak about someone in an impoverished country, like in, in, in one of the African countries, right? We would never talk about um, them like we talk about people in Hollywood. We're disgusted with people in Hollywood. And maybe we have reason to be, right? But we speak about people in Hollywood or people that are well off with much more judgment and, and patience rather than love and compassion. But those people need Jesus too, amen? And so while I was thinking about this, um, it brought me to Jonah. And Jonah has this very unwavering hatred for the city of, of Nineveh. He considers them his enemy. And when you consider someone your enemy, church, you don't want to share anything good that you have with that person. 
Imagine inheriting a million dollars, right? You might give some to, to your close friends, to your family, but that girl that was talking mess about you two weeks ago, mm-mm, she ain't getting a dime trying to be all friendly now. I don't think so, right? I, I've, I've never really had enemies. I, I don't make enemies. I don't try to make enemies. I, I try to make friends. And if I can't make you my friend, you're just going to be a person that I, I know. The only thing close to an enemy that I've ever had was my, my dear sister, Ashley. Um, when we were kids, you know, we're two years apart. You know how siblings, they, they always, they, they fight when they grow up. Oh, I, don't, I don't know if that's true for everybody, but Ashley and I, I mean, we were the worst. And we would play these pranks on each other. One time, I might have told you all this, but one time I went into her room, went into her underwear drawer, and uh, I, 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 I got some, some underwear. That I, I, if I remember correctly, they were like uh, Princess Jasmine underwear. And, and, and I went outside uh, to our driveway. We had this post where the address was, was, was listed. So when we lived in Colorado and I, 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 I hung her, her pennies right there on, on the post. So anytime that someone would drive by, they'd see this, these random uh, Jasmine princess underwear. And I thought it was hilarious. You know, I thought I was, I was cracking up. Um, but then she responded by taking my brand new, I think it was an Astros hat, uh, brand new. My parents had just bought it for me. She threw it in, the puddle, in a puddle of water, and then she tossed it over the ledge, over the balcony, and into the dirt. And that was so cruel, right? Like, even more messed up than what I did. Uh, but, you know, and it wasn't just like a regular backyard like we have here. Like, this, this, this was in Colorado. We lived in the mountains. I had to, like, form a search party in the woods to go find my, my hat. If that's not an enemy, I don't, I don't know what is, man. And Ashley, Ashley was always... A little jealous of me. I, I, didn't re- I really didn't expect you to be here, Ash, so um, I'm just going to say it. She was always a little, little jealous of, of the way, Alexa too, of, of the way that my parents treated me versus them. I was the favorite, right? At, for example, Ashley got grounded for throwing my hat off of the, off of the ledge. I didn't, and I initiated the prank. So I, I could understand her frustration. Um, but if you're an old, older sibling, you know how it is, right? You're probably the favorite. It's probably genuinely because you're better than the rest of them. Um, amen. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's as close to an enemy as, as I ever had. And I remember never wanting to share anything good that I, that I had with her. Anything good that came into my life, into my possession, it was mine. I want to share it. And she was the same way. And I, I see this same type of relationship between my daughter Layla and, and my, my niece Haley. Like they, they love each other. They're cousins. They, they love each other. They always want to be together. But when they're together, you got to really keep an eye on them, man, because they can throw down. I mean, they, they're ruthless. They, they grab each other by the hair, and they're, like, pushing each other. I didn't know two-year-olds could have so much hood in them, man. They get it from their, their mamas. <laughs> <laughs> what rage. And when they're together, it's like, okay, these are my toys. Don't play with my toys. Don't come near them. And in fact, if you have something that I want, I'm going to probably go and take it from you because I don't want you to be happy. I want to be happy, right? And that's, that's really the nature of, of enemies, even, even if you're just an enemy for a moment. It's like, I, I want you to get what you deserve. And, you know, the people, the people of the world, there's a lot of people in the world that deserve the wrath of God. And we're included in that. Amen? We really are. I mean, we deserve the worst. You know, as, as much as we try to be good as, as a human race, we're just, we're not. We missed the mark. But then God comes and, and, and we're introduced to salvation through Jesus Christ. And some of them accept him, but others don't. 
Some choose to reject him. And, and what do the Christians do? We say, forget you then. You're not a child of God. One day, every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess, and you're going to see. <laughs> so hateful, man. That's not what we're called to do, church. We're not called to take vengeance. The Lord says, vengeance is mine. It doesn't belong to you. Stop trying to avenge me. You can't do anything. We're not called to hope that our enemies fall and never get up. We're called to love them. We're called to show them compassion, not just to the poor, but to everyone else. Let's get real. Let's get real for a second. You know, we give to the needy. Again, I said this before. We give to the poor. We give to the orphan, the widow. And I believe that our intentions are good. I believe that we do it um, with the love and compassion of Christ. But we're also not intimidated to approach them. Because in a sense, we feel like, we feel like we're, we're a little better off than they are. We feel like we're providing them a service and they need us, right? You know, the, the homeless need us to provide food and shelter to them. So, so let's do that. And then, hey, while we're there, let's, let's preach a message of, of salvation. But on the other side of the spectrum, if you have someone like, like Warren Buffett, who's believed to be an atheist, we think, well, how am I going to service him in any way? How am I going to offer anything good to him? I could take something from him, right? Amen. But how, how am I going to give this guy, one of the richest men alive, the most successful guy in, in, in our nation, how can I give him anything? And we make it about ourselves. We make it about ourselves instead of the one that we claim to be witnessing about. Church, when are we going to stop doing that? When are we going to stop making it about my discomfort, my lack of training and education? When are we going to stop making it about my fear, my, my dislike for the purpose, God, that you're calling me to? We live in a life, man, that claims devotion to God, but yet a lot of times it feels like we're devoted to him only after our desires are met. It's like, it's like we give God a deductible. <laughs> like, we say, all right, God, you're calling me to something, and, it, and it's pretty big. It's going to require a lot of me. So in order for my service to you to kick in, a few things have to be met. You got to give me something. First, you got to give me something that pleases me. You got to make sure that, that you're not calling me to anything that's going to make me feel awkward and uncomfortable, because I don't do those things. And, and you got to give me something that's still going to allow me to make a living and, and income. Okay, once all those things are met, then boom, I, you got me all the way. Don't you hate how insurance works? But that's, that's how we offer our service to God. Once he makes a claim on our lives, we, we got to get him to jump through all these hoops first. And so Jonah's here, and he's making it about himself. And he, he runs away. And I imagine that he has some concerns of, of, of how to approach the city of Nineveh, much like we would have some concerns of how to approach Warren Buffett, right? Because Nineveh, this wasn't a poor city. This wasn't a very needy city. This was a city that was very well off. They, they, were, they were prosperous. It's like, it's like God sending you to Beverly Hills to preach the gospel. I don't know any missionaries over there. But the gospel of Christ has no boundaries. And the love of Christ within us should have no boundaries. But when you make it about yourself, church, it's like you love yourself more than anyone else. So you're going to make sure that you get taken care of first before anyone else. And so when I read Jonah, I see a very modern picture of today's church who makes excuses, who runs away from their callings. And I'm, I'm really excited for, for Pastor Maggie to get here, man, because she's going she's gonna to talk about calling. But that's what we do. We, we, we run away from our calling. We, uh, we, we don't want to share the gospel with, with our enemies. We have enemies in the first place. 
When I look at Jonah, I see a very modern picture of the church who in many ways is not compassionate and not loving. And as Christians, man, we, we get on our knees and we say, God, bring revival to the nation. We say, God, send it, show us your glory. We just sang the song, show us your glory. We want to see more of you. And then we turn around, we have these stupid arguments on social media that, that show no evidence of us having a loving and compassionate God within us. Or we run away when God tells us to speak up because, again, we're making it about ourselves and not the one that we're called to, to love. When it comes to the gospel church, we can't be selfish. I want you to understand this. We cannot be, maybe in some other ways in our lives, it's okay to be selfish sometimes. But when it comes to the gospel of Christ, we cannot be selfish. But yet that's the state that we find ourselves in many times and we don't even realize it until God calls us into his purpose. I'm sure that, you know, I'm sure Jonah was a good Jewish man. He was God-fearing. He was law-abiding. I'm sure that he had probably no problem sharing the word of God with his friends, his family, um, people that didn't know, know God. But, but then God calls him outside to a land where he doesn't have any friends and he doesn't have any family. He doesn't care for anyone over there. And perhaps he's a little intimidated of, of how to approach them and there's just something there that he doesn't like. And so what does he do? The only thing that he can think of doing is, is running away from his calling. Now think about today's church. I think we're often like Jonah. We're a little selfish. We don't mind having church. We love having church, right? We, we, uh, we don't mind preaching to each other. Sometimes we're, we're good about preaching to each other. We're comfortable with, with one another when we, when we fellowship and we sing songs to God and, and we worship God together. We're, we're good with all of that. But then when God calls us to a place that's a little uncomfortable to share a message that we claim to hold so dear to our hearts, we make excuses and we run away. That selfishness and selfishness, church, makes enemies out of everyone who is not yourself. Selfishness makes enemies out of everyone who is not yourself, especially when it comes to the gospel. For some reason, it's like we're, it, it's more important to us to get our fill than it is for someone to receive salvation. That's, that's selfishness. What did Jesus say in Matthew on the famous Sermon on the Mount? He said, love your enemies and, and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. I want to talk about that for a second. You still with me? Amen. He says the word love, and we mentioned a couple weeks ago, um, in, in, the, in the dialogue between Peter and Jesus, there was two terms of, of love that they used. Uh, there was agapal, which means um, a very deep love, kind of like a love that you might have for your spouse, uh, for your family, for your closest friends, a love that you have for God. And then we have the, the other word, phileo, which is more casual. It's, it's like a brotherly type of love. It's less intense. And, and here Jesus, when he says, love your enemies... He uses the word agapal, so he uses the deepest term to refer to love. In all its essence, it means love, go after it, to treasure it, have deep compassion for your enemies. There's nothing casual about that, church. And yet we don't really see the importance, we don't see the magnitude of, of loving our enemies, so instead we do other things. We replace that term love with, with other things like tolerate. Jesus didn't say tolerate your enemies. But that's what we do a lot of times instead of love. We let the world be the world and we just tolerate it. And then we call ourselves the persecuted ones, right? 
and, and, and we, get, we get in our own Christian circles, and, and we, we, we never even think about going outside of it because it's dangerous and it's evil for whatever excuse we come up with. So we just tolerate it. Jesus also didn't say, pay no mind to those who persecute you. But yet again, that's, that's kind of what we do sometimes. We let the world say what they're going to say about us. We let them do what they're going to do to us. And then we just keep, we ignore them and we're like, no, you know what? I'm going to keep on in my salvation. We just, we pay them no mind. But church, Jesus uses the word love. Love is an action. It requires action. It doesn't, it doesn't kick in at, 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 because of a certain stimulus. It's, it, it's always working. Love is an action. It requires constant action, meaning Meaning it requires us to go outside of our comfort zone sometimes, even when we're not uncomfortable, even when we're not comfortable with it. Even when we don't really care to go where God is telling us to go, even when there's someone over there that we don't like. We need to we need to stop just tolerating the world, church. They're not they're not pesky mosquitoes that are just out to to annoy us all the time. So we just tolerate them, put some bug spray on. You know, let's not go outside because the mosquitoes are terrible. No, no, no. we got to love them. We got to love the world because they're dying. And maybe, maybe you say, well, I don't, I don't hate anybody. Like Jonah, I don't, I, don't, I don't know why Jonah hated the Ninevites so much. Scriptures doesn't really tell us. But he, he hated them. And, and you might not necessarily hate the world, but do you love the world? Do you love the world so much that, it require, that, that an action is taken on your part? And I look at Jonah, and you know, Jonah, he ultimately, he did fulfill his calling, even though he did it with an attitude, even though he did it with lack of compassion, even though he complained about it after doing it, even though he whined about the result that God brought forth from it, even though he did it, the fact remains that, if, that because of his lack of love, that almost destroyed an entire city. Had God not stepped in with some drastic uh, move on his part, Jonah would have just let them die. And he was cool with that. And you read the story of Jonah, and it's so, it's so dramatic. It's so dramatic. Like, I would never hate the world like Jonah did, but, but yet when we let somebody die because we don't, we don't care enough to act, we're just like Jonah. We're just like Jonah. We got we to gotta be better than this guy Jonah, church. People shouldn't have to wonder about Christians. Where, where's the love? They, they, should, they should see it. But they're never going to see it when we make it more about ourselves and about pleasing ourselves and about filling our cup. When they're, when they're dying over here, they're bleeding to death. But we're like, hey, Lord, bless me, Lord. This is a tough, this is a tough message. I'm not getting a lot of amens. <laughs> they should see the love, church. And I'm afraid there's a lot of Christians, or I'm sorry, a lot of unbelievers that don't see the love of Christ in us. They're never going to see it when we care more about the events and activities that we have on the weekend of church more than being the light of the world. And church, you know, this, this message, this is more of a lifestyle message than it is, you know, a corporate church message. My goal is to appeal to the individual this morning, to you, because the world sees the church through individuals. I'm going to say that again. The world sees the church. They see Christ through you as an individual. 
So that, that person that you can't stand and you're trying to ignore at all costs, that's how they're going to see the church. Oh, the church thinks they're better than everybody. That person that, that said something to you and, and you reacted in a, in a very much less than Christ-like manner, they're going to see that reaction in church people. This, this one's going to get you. That grumpy attitude that you got every morning when you walk into work. <laughs> you don't want to talk to anybody. There's, there's no apparent joy on your face. That's how, gonna, that's how they're going to see the church. If we represent the church, we need to rep- represent it with love and compassion, church. And that, is, that, that requires action. We need to not be like Jonah, church. He did, he pursued his calling, but he didn't do it very well. <laughs> and he didn't, he, he did it more out of fear than out of love. And Christ, he's calling us to love the world. And so sometimes we need to ask God, God, soften our hearts for the people of the world, for the people that are dying, for the people that you love, that you created, my God. I'm going to ask us to stand this morning. Thanks for tuning in to Primera Iglesia's weekly podcast. Join Pastor John Ryan Cantu every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For directions or more information, visit us at primeraiglesia.org. We'll see you next time and hope you have a blessed week.